Welcome to Think Like a Penguin, The Art of Flying. This is the podcast to help you think outside the box, live more confidently against the grain and become your more authentic self. Penguins don't traditionally fly, but what's to say they won't one day? Hello and welcome back to a new episode. I'm, oh God, (laughs) I was going to say... I'm sat outside and I, because the sun's shining, it's going to be 25, 26 degrees today and you may get the background traffic of a car or two passing. Uh, that was what just happened, so hopefully it's not too intense. Hopefully you can hear the birds as well because it's um, really nice. And this really connects with the theme of the topic today which is embracing your inner child. So. For me, recognising that nature is so important to really nurturing that inner child. We all have an inner child within us. And this might be quite a unique or new concept if you've not heard of this inner child before. I'm going to try and make sense of it and explain, first of all, what it is, why it's important to acknowledge it and how we can embrace aspects of our inner child or how we can be informed by our adult behaviours, knowing that that might be linked to um, a damage or hurt or unresolved inner child trauma. So it's really important to first of all acknowledge that we all have an inner child. Even as an adult, there are parts of us that are um, our authentic, most original childlike self that play out. So the inner child is and I googled it, a definition, a person's supposed original or true self, especially when regarded as concealed in adulthood. Uh, You may still be acting out the pain suffered by your inner child. That was in brackets, close brackets. And Carl Jung came up with the concept of the inner child and he even came up with archetypes of certain inner child traits or you are one of these seven archetypes. Now, I wasn't sure if you are a mixture of all seven, if you're meant to try and become just one of these seven. I did a lot of research last night about the seven archetypes of the inner child and whether you're meant to, a bit like the love languages, whether you're meant to have aspects of all love languages um, and be balanced, whether that's the case for the inner child. I'm not sure, but... Um, The work of Carl Jung, um, he came up with these child archetypes in his work linked to past experiences and memories of innocence, playfulness, creativity, plus the hope for future. This is an inside part of us that influences all we do and the decisions that we make. It's the role to drive the inner emotions in our daily life. So essentially, it's awareness. And as always, Uh, The whole overriding theme of every single episode is awareness, awareness of the topic that we're discussing or that I'm um, talking about and then how we can implement that awareness into our lives to better deal with the topic at hand. So having awareness of the inner child after this episode hopefully will inform how you can approach certain situations, how you can deal with emotions better, how you can show up in certain um, certain times when maybe you always get angry or maybe you always get uh, over emotional or always need to retreat into yourself that could potentially be informed by the inner child I am so sorry now we have a plane going overhead but if you can bear with and if the background noise isn't too much I will continue sitting out in my garden with the cat and uh, we'll get through the episode so the seven archetypes are the wounded the orphaned, the magical, nature, the eternal, the needy, and the divine. So you can have really strong attributes of the inner child, and you can have ones that are quite negative and that affect you. So if the inner child is carrying wounds, it can lead to blocked emotions, which can lead to not being able to deal with emotions in your adult life. So I'll give you an example. A wounded um, inner child, this often stems from neglect. So um, emotional, physical or psychological neglect. So physical might be that you just didn't feel like you got fed enough food. Um, Emotional might be that 
I'll give it a personal example actually, emotional. I had two twin sisters and I feel like having twin sisters a year older than me meant that potentially there wasn't enough, not enough of a, a sort of love to go around, but it, it was, I always felt in competition to make sure that I got enough hugs and enough attention. And I actually spoke to my mum about this this summer that um, I w- did I was an, was I a needy child was sort of the question I posed and did I was I always sort of wanting more time and she said I she always felt like I never got enough hugs right I'm going inside someone started to drill this is ridiculous so <laughs> apologies um, yeah so in terms of maybe not getting enough emotional um, support or feeling like my emotional cup was filled up I certainly experienced that as a child and I would often just go to her and try and nuzzle in and try and get hugs and she felt like I often needed too much too much hugs too much love so perhaps my emotional needs weren't met Um, and then in terms of uh, psychological neglect that can show up in many ways. Personally, I was always led to believe, we were told, that children should be seen and not heard. So instantly as a child, that would make me feel like I was unwanted or um, getting in the way somehow or not, you know, not welcome in, in whatever environment I was meant to be sat there in silence, not not being, um, making any noise. So those are quite mild examples. Obviously, you could have severe physical neglect, not getting enough food, not getting enough sleep, not getting enough shelter. Um, You could have severe emotional neglect, um, your parents abandoning you or something, um, and physiological neglect. Obviously, there's there's many ways it could play out. So all of these um, unhealed, unresolved, taken into the adult life can show up in really um, horrific ways. So how can it show up? How can having an unresolved, harmed inner child in adult life show up? Anger. So if someone has an outburst, often it would mean that they are sort of having an adult tantrum, to be honest. There's no need for anger unless your life is like severely threatened. So anger is a a trait that we have from caveman times. It's a, a physiological and evolutionary requirement to keep us alive. So we fight or flight. So when when we're put in a position where there's a saber-toothed tiger or a local caveman is coming to steal our cave and steal our women and, and, you know, kill our children, there's need for anger because you need to fight. There isn't really much need for anger in the modern day. It's, It's something that we we harness and we create in order to deal with situations, but there's no need for it. Even if we're in a war zone, it's a false fabricated um, emotion or behavior that that we have to build within ourselves to then act upon. Anger is not something that we naturally actually have as a baby, you don't really get angry. It's not something that is innate within us. So um, anger shows up often when there's, uh, as a child, you've had some trauma and you, your your reaction has been to throw a tantrum. Um, often that can be why anger comes up as an adult because that is your approach, that's your go-to. Um, neediness, obviously if you've been neglected or if you've had an example where you've felt you haven't, your needs just haven't been met, as an adult, if you've not learned a more positive, healthy way to deal with that um, perceived neglect or genuine neglect, then you're going to be a bit more needy, a bit more sort of requiring reassurance. You're going to potentially make need your partner to t- constantly be by your side or tell you where they are or not let them go out or, you know, put constraints or parameters on on human connection so that you feel like you're safe within that it might be a bit controlling um all of these as I'm saying them I'm thinking of personal examples of myself so there's certainly times where I have needed to feel um reassured and I've needed someone to spend more time with me or I've needed um some attention on a very shallow you might think superficial level 
I still need validation from people, especially in terms of my work um, and my creativity to my art, because I don't feel great in myself. I, I still struggle with self-esteem. And that neediness for validation, external validation, is because I haven't learned fully, I'm, I'm on the journey, I haven't learned as an adult to not require a bit of um, reassurance about myself. And myself, I directly link that to my what I do. So those of you that know me well will know that I crave and seek and, and I thrive off recognition but I also recognise that that's really unhealthy and um, kind of sad when you think about it. I should I should know in myself, you know, that I'm enough. But um, that's all from past trauma. That's from being a kid going to a private girls' school where if you weren't the absolute top in the class, then you were kind of a failure. If you didn't get 100% in an exam, well, why? What's wrong with you? Constantly, we were told about our, our shortcomings, our failures, what we did wrong. The, the general messaging and the conditioning in my childhood was you are not enough. You will never be good enough. Um, it was a very toxic school environment for me. For other people, it might have been fantastic. But for me, it broke me down. It made me feel really inferior. It made me feel like I could never do or be enough, which is why I'm always striving. And I'm still, I'm actually seeing a psych to, to work with this. But you can see how that childhood experience of being told by my family and school um, that I wasn't enough and I had to earn love. Love was conditional. So I had to draw in order to get food from my from my granny. That sounds quite drastic. She would feed us lunch, but if we wanted like an, a fun snack, I remember an almond slice and she was like, well, you can't have it until you've drawn me a picture. So fast forward to now at 35, there's no wonder that I have started to really um, flourish in the art space and the sports space I'll come back to this actually I'll say it now but the what you do as a child and you get positive recognition for it's the same kind of rule of thumb as if you get negative recognition so I got positive recognition as a child for my drawing and for my sport it is no surprise that I am now an artist and an athlete I got negative recognition um, for my inability to be intellectually good enough. So I'm dyslexic. I struggle with reading and writing. This was always something that I was being told off for or getting negative attention for. It's no wonder I don't really <laughs> enjoy um, writing and uh, reading. You know, I'm, I'm doing a podcast here. I'm not reading anything. I'm just talking I was always actually encouraged that I was quite articulate and I could um, speak in front of a crowd and I did drama. So it's no surprise. So think back on your own childhood experience. What were you told off for or what were you um, maybe embarrassed by or what did you not like because you were told that you were lacking in some way? And then flip it and ask yourself, what was I given praise for? What was I encouraged for? What was I told? What, How people describe you, and this is so important, so, so important as an adult, especially teachers or an adult in an influential position, what you tell a child, they will believe you. If you tell a child that they are stupid, that's what I got, if you tell them that they are going to amount to nothing, if you tell them that they're embarrassing, if you tell them they're too loud, if you tell them they're too unfit, they will believe you and they will become what you tell them. We become how society reinforces us. So you have to make sure your words are words of encouragement, of acknowledging and recognising the strengths in someone, in um, not mentioning their worth based on their looks. Um, I mean, that even that sentence is ridiculous to even say that. But um, that happened for me. And it still happens. Professional athletes, female athletes, will still be um, praised for the outfit they're wearing, a tennis dress that looks as... Like, we have got to stop telling people that their worth is based on things or their lack of worth is based on things. We just have to let people know that they are enough as they are. I'm sort of going off on a tangent, so I will bring it back round. But 
the basic message is if you are an adult and you have any interaction with a child, be very, very careful about how you frame criticism, feedback, support, um, or or any sort of, yeah, everything you say is, is going to have a lasting impact on that child. So when we come out of our mothers, <laughs> when, we, when we enter the world, we are a blank canvas, and I've said this before, but you are a sponge. You're, you have no beliefs, you certainly don't have anger, you don't have um, a recognition of the self, you don't have um, any thoughts, you don't have, you, you just aren't yourself. You are literally a blank canvas, you are a, a little beautiful human blob of flesh and bones and, and, and you don't have any opinions for yourself. The opinions and your beliefs and your character and what makes you you is everything you inherit from around you. So your parents, your schooling, your society, your um, community at large. I said this to um, one of the students that I was teaching on Wednesday. He's very religious. He's year seven. He's very religious. And I was explaining that if he was born in an igloo in Antarctica to you know, Eskimo family, chances are he's not going to be Christian. And it kind of blew his mind. But the where we are um, born into our environment dictates who we're going to become. So it is no doubt, it's obvious, it's obvious that if we are born into an environment that um, neglects us physically, emotionally or psychologically, then that's going to have a lasting impact on our adult life. So how... Oh, the cat's come in, so we're going to have some meows, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. There it is. Okay, how do we, um, first of all, fix a um, damaged or hurt inner child? So let's take myself as an example. I'm very comfortable to share. I've already said that I feel like I have had a bit of sort of neglect or maybe emotionally I wasn't, I wasn't given enough. I've got a, an example. So I was... Um, on a skiing holiday, I was eight years old, and my parents assumed that I had ski school. So ski school is about a three, four hour sort of commitment. And you go off with the ski instructor over the mountain, and you come back and you get collected by your parents. This particular day, I'd qualified to do a race, so a slalom, so a downhill race. And it took about 10 minutes. So got to the top, did my race, finished. Parents had left. They'd gone. They'd gone over, I think, into the other valley, into another mountain, I'm not even sure. And as an eight-year-old girl, I was left on the French Alps by myself for four hours. So, obviously, I kind of validated or kind of could rationalise that they would come back at some stage, so I just had to sit there. But for four hours, that's quite a long time. Um, and I pretty pretty scary, pretty um, unpleasant. And um, then when they did come back, I was obviously very relieved. One of the first things that was said to me, I'm not going to say who said this, I don't want to shame them, but was, ah, oh, what a shame. You only got um, fourth place. What a shame. Absolutely no recognition of um, how I'd been left or that that was quite scary or are you all right and I'm so sorry. It was commentary on the fact that I didn't get a third place, a podium finish in my race. <laughs> Um, so very confusing. There was a lot of sort of neglect of my emotional needs in that situation, neglect of like feeling like I'd been abandoned. Um, and I have no doubt that that probably had a lasting effect. And I've worked with a hypnotherapist. I've worked with counsellors over the years. And obviously my past with a lot of eating disorders, mental health issues, I've I've had the opportunity to, to work through these um, sort of situations and then fast track to now and see how that situation might have affected me unresolved as an adult. So how do we fix a hurt inner child? That is just one example, by the way. So I will say it can take years, years and years and years. I'm going to just share two or three examples now and we'll fix them. Um, and then you can do this on your own, but it's, it can take your whole lifetime to undo any harm that has been caused to your inner child. So how do we fix it? 
first of all, acknowledge. So I acknowledge that being left on the side of the mountain as an eight-year-old for four-ish hours was probably quite a daunting thing. Validate. I know that that would be quite um, quite a daunting, um, scary moment and obviously stuck out in my mind. And it's not it's not irrational to think that that might have had some sort of lasting effect. Identify the form of neglect. So it was obviously a complete mistake. It wasn't, I wasn't intentionally just left in a foreign country on the side of the mountain, um, but I can identify that it was um, abandonment and probably, um, it's probably it really. Just uh, the orphan, so it would fit into the archetype of the orphaned um, inner child. Embrace your emotions, so I would have felt um, scared, alone, um, a bit confused, a bit um, intimidated, probably bored, to be honest, <laughs> um, and a bit lost, a bit alone. Um, and identify how it currently manifests. So if I'm left out, and I'm not saying that this relates to this one incident, but if I'm left out of a group, if I am left on the fringes, if I'm not included, I really struggle. I hate being left out. And on a whole other topic, I recognise that I approach life quite differently in certain social situations. So I don't follow the constructs of the normal. I don't drink. I don't um, really just sort of sit around and hang out with my mates because I want to be doing something. I love activity. I love sport. Um, I don't really have a nightlife. I don't partake in, in common sort of, um, not everyday activity, but, you know, I don't go and sit in a pub. I don't really do certain things that certain adults do. So I, I already don't help myself, but I still struggle when I'm not invited. I feel really like hurt and neglected. It takes me back to that place where I was just like sort of abandoned and left on the side of a mountain. Um, and then take steps to fill the gaps. So I can reach out. I can ask friends now. I can, I can set up a little group. I can say, why don't we come over to dinner? I can make sure that I create an environment whereby I am not left out. I have created um, a situation. That took me years to do years and years um, because I had a fear of um, again being neglected it's really hard to put yourself out there if you're worried about socially not being fitting in so for my 18th birthday party I put on a little party at home and we catered for about 40 people um, and like just food and then well, alcohol dad said no you've got to buy some alcohol I didn't drink any but um, one friend turned up so that again was really, really, um, and I don't know the circumstance, it was in the school holidays, we didn't really have social media back then, I probably didn't advertise it very well, I just sort of like spread the word, but probably didn't spread the word properly because I was worried about people not coming, so sort of self-sabotage, I could convince myself, oh no one came because I was didn't really tell anyone, but anyway, no one came really 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 mortifying my sisters bless them rallied around and they brought some of their friends over just so that I felt like I could had some people around me um so to take the steps to fill in the gaps to try and create some sort of positive example of feeling like I belonged and fitted in um was really challenging it was it was really um brave I had to really dig deep to trust that it could happen after the skiing, after my 18th, after there's so many examples where I felt like I've been left out. Um, and then healing and releasing your inner child, knowing that as an, with an adult mindset and with rationale, that that is just is sometimes life. You know, it was a mistake. It, it wasn't intentional. It wasn't, um, it wasn't coming from a place of malice. Um, when people leave me out now, you know, I can rationalise and put it in perspective that they've got busy lives or, you know, they might not want to do what I want to do or they might feel poorly or they might... So, like, I, I, re I realise I cannot take it personally and I love this phrase and I often uh, kind of comes to mind. Hurt people will hurt people or people in pain will attract people in pain. So if you have an unresolved inner child issue that is sort of playing out as an adult chances are you're going to attract that same energy 
If you are hurt as an adult, if you're in pain, if you're angry, you're going to attract anger. My beautiful housemate, is like the most amazing man on the planet, is really um, big on um, making sure that he's physically able to like defend himself, protect himself. So he's um, um, lots of um, self-defense sort of stuff. And with respect, I've sort of said to him, I don't need to do that. I don't have any example in my life where I'm going to be around and anywhere where I'm going to need to defend myself physically because I don't put myself in that position. Um, I mean, this is quite naive of me saying this, but like, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't cross my consciousness that I might need to sort of defend myself. I, I also don't, I don't feel like I would ever partake in like an angry exchange or, um, I just, yeah, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm losing, I'm on a tangent here, but if I'm really emotionally affected and needy and sad and confused or whatever the, the emotion might be, I will attract those people into my life. And I have the awareness to know that there's probably, if we take it right back, due to some unresolved childhood trauma or uh, my inner child coming out in that situation as an adult. So there's this phrase called a crick critical faculty, I find that really hard to say, up to the about the age of six or seven, you are formed, you are created, you as a character, as a human, as a whole entity, pretty much develops up until about the age of seven, and then there's a cap on the lid, so it's like you've got a flask or a bowl, and all of your um, emotions, all of your beliefs, all of your character traits, all of your virtues, your values, your morals, they kind of get absorbed and collected and you, like your parents put a little bit in, your school puts a bit in, your siblings put a bit in, your society puts a bit in and then about the age of seven, pop the lid on and that is kind of you. Now what people don't realise is that that happens in the first place but that you have a choice to take the lid off and handpick what beliefs, um, what mindsets and what approaches, what behaviours are suiting you. And you can go through life taking the lid off, putting it back on. When I um, get anxiety because I um, am surrounded by people and I find that really overwhelming because when I was a child, I was at school and I found the whole school environment like those two new people, blah, 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 just to use an example, when I get panic attacks and anxiety, is that best serving me as an adult? When I go to the shopping centre and I become completely overwhelmed by all the noise and all the people and all the sounds and it's Christmas shopping and I've got to get my stocking fillers and I'm just like, probably not going to serve you as an adult. Can I go back and think about, as a child, when that anxiety started in relation to that um, environment or that situation and can I work through it? by acknowledging it, validating it, identifying what form of um, hurt to my inner child it was, embrace the emotions, identify current manifestations, take steps to fill the gaps and mend and heal. So you can see how it takes a long, long time. I'm going to use a positive example. I said that I do a lot of art and I said that I needed to kind of paint in order to like get a fun snack or a, you know, uh, draw a sketch to get recognition from my granny. I remember the Easter Library Seven Stoke um, art competition. And I think I was about eight, nine, ten. I can't really remember. And we won. I won. Um, my sisters won a couple of things, but I won the main, took out the main prize. And I got this huge hamper of sweets and chocolates. Now, on a side note, we had one boiled sweet a day sorry, on a Saturday a week, so one board sweet from the yellow tin on a Saturday after lunch. That in itself is some sort of weird <laughs> childhood food thing. That's a whole other episode. But to get this hamper of like this basket full of chocolate eggs and little chocolate sweets and like Easter bunnies, chocolate, like it was just sweets and chocolates. I was like, oh my gosh, my life has been made. So for me, that feeling of like, oh my gosh, I've won, this is the best thing ever, I still get when I have sweets and chocolate. I'm now currently 
so gratefully and amazingly don't have an eating disorder. So I will eat chocolate daily, hands down. I love it. It's brilliant because it takes me back to that time when that um, I won that event. I I kind of like got this uh, like the biggest supply of chocolate and sweets I've ever seen in my life was like gifted to me and the feeling I had of pride and excitement and like oh my gosh it's the best thing ever I still get to a certain extent so you know it's a it, that's now a positive thing you might say oh it's really bad I eat chocolate every day I don't think so it's fine I do exercise I'm healthy otherwise I eat really well so why we do what we do is informed fact this is fact it is informed by our childhood experience now, I really want to get to the inner child and how we can embrace it because I believe as adults, we forget to play. We forget to do what brings our inner child to life. We forget to really embrace those parts of ourselves as a kid that was what brought us the most joy, what made us us. So when I was down south on the weekend, I went for a little skateboard and then all these kids turned up and I was like, oh my gosh, I don't I don't love trying to dodge um, kids because they're kind of unpredictable at the skate park. So instead I just went and chipped some golf balls on the little patch of ground nearby. And I looked across and I was looking at the adults and there was about seven adults and my heart broke. I just, I can't, um, this is actually what made me want to do this episode because I was seeing these adults some were on their phone. One guy, I could hear, he was like, oh, my, I'm so hungover. Oh, my God. Like, totally the worst. And and then others were just sort of sat there looking really bored. There was no energy or vibrancy. And I thought, why aren't they joining in? What, what has led them to think that just because they now have children of their own, they can't now be childlike themselves? They can't... They, it's like they've forgotten to give themselves permission to play. Now, I'm not saying that every person, every parent would want to jump on a skateboard. Um, and I'm not saying that these adults haven't also enjoyed some playtime themselves throughout the rest of the week or the day. But what a fantastic opportunity to go and like join in with your kid or at least be a bit more engaged. Or like, I just, and I know there's so much around this one situation that. I'm I'm probably not seeing, you know, they 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 might be more than happy to have a catch up with the adults whilst their kids do their own thing. But I just thought I I wondered when was the last time they embraced their inner child. So what do I mean by embracing your inner child? What does that look like? Um it can be playing a game. It can be being silly. It can be dancing. It can be just sitting in nature. It can be um making something just for the sake of making something to get in some like salt dough salt dough is the easiest thing you literally just put flour salt water mush it up and you've got like a kind of basic clay and you can make stuff it can be um just playing in the waves at the beach like not not surfing just like bobbing around it can be doing handstands in the swimming pool I went back to stay with my sister this summer Two 35-year-old women just doing handstands in the swimming pool. You're just doing something that you, you you would do as a child. The beautiful thing about being a child is that you have no awareness. Also, unfortunately, the best thing that we can do for ourselves is have awareness. So when you get to an adult and you, um, you have awareness of self, it can be really crippling, but it is 100% necessary. You're not going to be able to be your best version of yourself unless you are aware of your behaviors, beliefs, thoughts, um, mindset, but also we get stuck in embarrassment or shame or awkwardness or we're too worried about how other people will view us in order to embrace just doing what we want to do. So little activities to connect to your inner child. There are six ways here. Keep an open mind. So I did not think a year ago that I would enjoy skateboarding as much as I do. I did not think that I would be hooning around a skate park, dodging little kids. Um, I've always approached life with an open mind because I know that's those surprising kind of unusual things that you end up doing are usually the ones that bring you the most joy. And I love variety. I think it's the spice of life. So I'm always actually looking um, to try new things, to experience new things. And that all 
really just spark that inner child energy. So keep an open mind. Um, look to children for guidance. Children know how to play. They don't even think about it. It's intuitive. It just comes to them. They're the best at playing. Um, you can just give a kid like a box and they'll just make a rocket out of it or like um, their imagination is on fire. And what you put your energy and your focus on will grow. We know this. And um, where your energy goes, um, things will grow. So you have to practice using your imagination. You have to practice playing. If you if you feel funny, like being a big kid, chances are you don't do it enough. Um, and then it will just become second nature. You won't even realize. You just you just be out climbing a tree, and you think, "Oh, that was fun." You won't you won't even go, "Oh, I wonder what I could do in this situation with a tree." Like it just it just happens because you'd be. It's just an energy that you harness the more you do it. So. We're keeping an open mind. We're looking to kids for guidance. They are fantastic at playing and they will teach you how to view the world in a different way. When you go to the beach with a kid and like, oh my God, look at this rock and look at this stone and look at this and this looks like this. And should we play like, I don't know, jumping from island to island and they're just jumping off one rock to the next. Like they're just so good at knowing how to play. So just copy them, look to them. Um, revisit your childhood memories. So what were the things that stood out that brought you the most joy, the most comfort, the most connection, the most sense of inner peace and authenticity? For me, sitting on the hill, so we were really fortunate, we had a little bit of land around the house and the farmer would rent out our fields occasionally when the cows and the sheep were giving birth. So some of my best childhood memories and I am a complete loner as well and an introvert and a, a very creative mind. So I didn't mind sitting by myself. But there are so many memories. I'd, I'd walk up the hill, usually be naked or sat in, in a nappy or something. Um, and just sat in amongst the animals. There's one time actually I sat against a sheep and I was just sort of playing with its wool. And um, I get lost in my mind, get lost in the view, get lost in the imagination, just get... I've got all these little fairy stories that have come into my head. So I know that as a child, being alone in nature was one of the most nurturing, beautiful things for me. I'm sure you'd have memories of playing um, curb ball or basketball or some like basic ball game with your with your bros in the, in the alley or in the back of the house or on the estate or whatever. Great. If that's what brought you joy, go join a basketball team. Go start playing some sport. So think about times when you had the most sort of fun and brought you the most joy as a kid. And if you don't have an element of that in your life now as an adult, I suggest you find a way to implement that. Um, which leads you to the next one, just spend time doing what, you're, um, what you enjoy. Like being an adult is bloody hard. Having the responsibility if you're a parent, if you've got a mortgage, if you know, we, life is hard. The, the, one of the joys of being a child is you don't financially have to like be responsible for your life. What a, what an absolute blessing. Like every child is almost like a multi, multi-millionaire because money is not a concern and it's very stressful. But with that being said, one way to counteract that stress is to make sure that you're doing something that you enjoy. Life is too short to, if you have the privilege to not have to try not to work 24 7 life is too short like please gift yourself some time like if you think about the amount of time you are just doing stuff to pay the mortgage like it's just so depressing like downgrade your house like get rid of the car and get a second hand one like I don't know find a way to not need to work so much to finance the life that you're trying to like fill a void with all these gadgets or things that cost you. Just find a way to make less money or need less money and then you have way more time for fun and play. And that is, again, a whole other episode because that's wrapped up in how you're viewed by other people and this sort of need for keeping up with the Joneses. I feel very sorry for people that have a life like that. I've never felt like I've needed to like have the latest and greatest and, and show the perception that I'm like more wealthy than I am because um, for me I know that that doesn't bring me joy that keeps me in a trap 
Um, and as I say, that's a whole other episode. So maybe I'll make a note and we'll do an episode on, um, I think I have actually, one of my first ones with Gemma was um, how to not worry about what people think of you. So maybe go back and find that one. Um, and then this one might feel a bit weird, this suggestion of how to connect your inner child, but you can talk to your inner child. So I'm going to share a very personal, um, quite uh, upsetting um, situation that I that I went through. When I was in hospital, um, I, well, I hated myself. I tried to end my life. So I, I, I loathed there was not a single part of my cell in my body that I liked, let alone loved. So I had to train my brain to um, start to love myself. And one of the ways I did that was to look in the mirror and tell myself, without words, just look at myself and in my head, tell myself I love myself. Now, obviously, that did not happen um, overnight. Like, I couldn't even look at my eyes for maybe the first few weeks. I couldn't look above my hips. I would just look at my knees, my feet, and just sort of mumble internally that I might have some mild admiration for myself. Didn't believe it. Like, in no core, in no cell in my body did I believe it. But the only way to change beliefs is to repeat your thoughts. The only way to change beliefs is to repeat an uh, opinion, a thought. It's just a thought you have loads and loads of times over and over. That's what a belief is. And you have to change the neuroplasticity in your mind. So you have to repeat constantly a thought to make it, ingrain it as a belief. The only reason you have the beliefs that you do, and I've done a whole episode on this as well, beliefs and how they serve you and how you can change them. But the only reason you have your beliefs is because you've had a thought or someone's told you something time and time and time again, so much so that it becomes ingrained in you as a belief. So I was told that I was stupid most of my, my schooling. I was told over and over and over and over again. So it became a belief. Obviously, that didn't serve me. Um, and so therefore, I um, had to tell myself over and over and over again, I'm actually very intelligent, I'm just dyslexic, and I show my intellect in a different way. So now I believe that I'm not stupid, I'm just dyslexic. And I also am really clever in other ways. So um, yes, that was... You have to you have to tell yourself that you um, not that you love yourself, but you just have to be kind to yourself. So going back to the mirror um, story, I'd be in hospital and I'd be bawling my eyes out. I could barely look at myself. I'd be feeling self hate, feeling like I'm loathing myself, but kind of trying to kind of tell myself that maybe one day I might be able to start liking myself a little bit. What I was connecting to there was my inner child. And the only way that I could overcome anorexia, suicide, self-harm, all of that was to be kind to the tiny little delicate, vulnerable girl that was inside of myself. We are so hard on ourselves. And that, again, is a whole other episode. Gosh, I've got lots to continue on. Um, but we are hard on ourselves as a survival mechanism a bit like the caveman analogy, we have to see threat, we have to see um, danger in the world around us in order to evolve and come up with ways to counteract or work against that threat. The reality is though now, we don't have that many threats. But as a child, when you felt vulnerable, neglected, ignored, hurt, you you create a, um, a defense mechanism to fight against that that threat. So we just have to acknowledge, going back again, we have to acknowledge that as a child you are helpless and you are vulnerable, but as an adult we're sort of hard on ourselves because somehow we haven't got the answer or we don't know how to do it. Or da -da. But you're just repeating what an innocent little child, imagine yourself as a three-year-old and you're really hungry and unfortunately you, you're on a drive somewhere and you know there isn't food available and you're crying and your parents are getting annoyed and they're like shut up shut up you all you've done is and really you don't have the words or you don't have the way to go but I'm just really hungry like all I want is some food so then your parents get annoyed at you you feel like you can't tell anyone the next time you're hungry like oh my gosh it's so hard being a parent it's so hard being a child but 
that kind of in kind of makes you kind of maybe retreat or the next time you're hungry whatever your reaction to being hungry you will be angry you'll get upset you'll retreat you'll go into yourself that plays out as an adult so for you to then on top of that be horrible to yourself internally I'm talking about like having thoughts and and just sort of berating yourself well you're doubly harming yourself you're doubly hurting yourself so if I'm looking in the mirror trying to convince myself that I love myself enough to keep myself alive and then I'm like oh you're so pathetic this is ridiculous I can't believe you're crying this is so awful I can't believe you're like getting upset that you hate yourself like oh my gosh like it's already too much too much so you've got to talk to your inner child in a loving kind beautiful nurturing supportive way we are all just trying our best honestly we are just little kids in adult bodies just trying to get through the world without causing too much damage to ourselves or others we're trying to pay the mortgage we're trying to get to the end of the work week you have got to be kind to yourself so talk to yourself if you don't feel comfortable actually speaking to yourself then that's fine maybe write a letter or just think to yourself I would look at my I'm actually looking at myself now in front of the mirror because I came in because it was too noisy outside and I will say to myself now to give you an example Liv you are doing so well the fact that you have come from a place of wanting to end your life and now who you are and you've constructed a life on the other side of the world in sunshine and you've got citizenship and you are now talking into a little dictaphone device so that you can try and share your wisdom with others and inspire others to also talk to your inner child well done you fantastic and if you have a wobbly day you're trying your best don't worry for some of you, that'd be really hard to talk to yourself like that. But the best way to overcome your childhood trauma and embrace your inner child is to talk to it, is to love it. Talk to yourself like you are three, like you are four, like you are helpless and vulnerable. Talk to yourself like you would talk to your own kids now, because that part of you is still there and it will always be with you for the rest of your life. I'm just going to have a little quick through um, look through my notes to check that I've covered all of the basic. Um, oh, yes. Um, well, I just wanted to share a couple of quotes. So Tony Robbins along this line said, heal the boy and the man will appear. So in psychology, um, Freud, um, Carl Jung, like most um, philosophers, psychologists will all say, your childhood informs your adult life. That's why I wanted to do this episode. So go back in time and heal the boy and the man will appear. Other ways in which you can embrace what's good, because we don't always want to focus on the bad. That's one thing I hated about counselling is that I always felt that they were trying to focus on the negative or the pain. Obviously, you have there's times to work through that. But as a high-functioning, happy-ish, content, rounded adult individual I think it's best to actually get some therapy but also focus on some good things so you can do a gratitude journal you can do a self-love journal a self-love journal is pretty much just writing down things you love about yourself which if you find hard proves you need to do it I can hands down just fire off three or four things I love about myself every day and I'm so grateful I've got to that point um it's taken 20 years to get to that point but writing a self-love journal if you don't feel you can do that you are the person to do it a bit like if you're really inflexible yoga's for you <laughs> I always laugh when people say I'm not flexible enough to do yoga that's who it's for mate you are the candidate um and then reflection reflection is is linked with self-awareness so just keep reflecting on where you've come from what what experience you've had, how that's showing up for you now, if you're really stressed because you feel like people are, are expecting too much of you, if you were head girl or if you were like prefect in year six and that felt overwhelming and you felt, oh my gosh, I can't deal with all these people needing things from me and I'm in a position of authority or on a pedestal and like, oh, I don't want to be this limelight, like, you know, now if you've got a promotion and you're wondering why on earth am I so damn stressed why can't I handle it well it's because your childhood it's because you were put in a position that wasn't great for you that caused you emotional stress and now it's playing out as an adult so reflection awareness you like every answer you have in life or every answer sorry you're searching for is within you 
we just need to take time to be aware. So well done for getting um, to this stage. Uh, we're at 45, 49, oh my gosh, 50 minutes in. Um, and I'm, I'm going to wrap up. I've still got some more notes to share, but I, don't, I just feel like um, I don't want to overwhelm. Um, I've, I've got some things here about confronting the defences. Try not to minimise your trauma. Um, try not to um, make the abnormal normal. These are all coping strategies. We try and downplay things. Try not to protect those who cared for you um, out of shame, honour or embarrassment uh, or guilt. So don't, again, this is an, probably a whole other podcast, but we can often downplay the severity of something that happened to us as a child as a way to kind of cope with it and it um, and make it kind of okay. Um, yeah, that's a very, very different podcast. And also I'm not qualified as a psych, I'm not a psych to be able to talk on all of that. That's that's very complex. Um, often denying what's happened is a way of, of trying to kind of not not avoid healing, but you're certainly not going to be able to heal unless you allow yourself to to um, go there and, and acknowledge what has happened. Um, similarly to avoiding bad memories. Unfortunately, in order to heal and overcome and, and, and not be trapped by by your inner child, your hurt, harmed inner child, you have to acknowledge what's happened and, and work through it. But I will end by saying it takes time you are doing your best. So please don't be hard on yourself. Don't don't beat yourself up if you feel like something's come up and you can't handle it or you're dealing with it in a way that is still your inner child trauma coming out. Um, and just take on one little thing at a time. Don't overwhelm yourself by going back through all of your childhood trauma and trying to, you know, like take it all on and work through it all overnight. Like just maybe just let this episode inform you to make some some inquisitive um steps towards finding out about oh, I wonder why I do this now I wonder why I get stressed in this certain situation or gosh I haven't been outside and just lay on the grass I used to look up at the clouds as a kid and oh, I haven't done that so whatever you take from this episode I hope it's been helpful please be kind on yourself um seek some um professional help if you need to and um, also reach out. I'd love to hear your thoughts on anything that's come up for you in this episode. And um, I'll put some links in the show notes on Spotify and wherever you find this pod. And um, yeah, embrace your inner child, be kind to yourselves and take care.